Welcome back to Success is a System. I'm Mike Green. I'm here with Rosie Jolly. I've known Rosie for about 10 years now, and I'm going to get into the story of how we met, where we met. But Rosie particularly to me is a great example of a female entrepreneur and somebody who really knows what she wants, really goes for what she wants. And I want to interrogate and understand the systems that Rosie has used in her career and in her business to help her achieve the success she's got and that she wants to learn to build the business further and bigger. So welcome, Rosie. It's great to see you Lovely again. Lovely to see it's been you far again. Too long. Um, so we first met and I'll tell my side of the story. I'd be interested to uh, understand what you were feeling and thinking at the time. But Absolutely. at the time, I was uh, coming over to a NISA conference in New York, the Waldorf Astoria. What an incredible hotel anyway, with all the history. And I was blown away. The Grand Ballroom's on the fifth floor, as you know. And, you know, you've got everyone from Hoover to Marilyn Monroe to Marlene Dietrich to uh, Churchill, Sinatra, the Kennedys. have all been in that same room. And we were there, but I was really busy at the time. And uh, I remember saying to NISA, I'll come, but I'm literally going to fly in at nine o'clock uh, the night before, and I need to be first on and leave as soon as I've finished. And so um, I got my bag there ready to go. I get up, do the, the sort of launch uh, presentation for their conference. And then as I step off, I, I'm walking towards the door and I think, well, I've got to get to the airport. And the time was really tight. And I remember you coming up to me and saying, hi, hi, Mike, can I walk you to the taxi or something? And I, I thought, that's really helpful. Nice to have laid someone on to show me where the taxi is. Yeah. I mean, it's a massive hotel, as you know. And, and uh, the grand ballroom we were in was on the fifth floor. We've got to go down the lifts. It's 1,400 bedrooms. So it's just huge. I know there were different entrances. And so I thought, that's really good that someone's going to show me where to go because I'll get lost otherwise. And, uh, and we talk about elevator pitch, but it was perfect. And I've used it as an example before because as we get in the lift and the door shut, I remember you saying something along, along the lines of, hi, my name's Rosie Jolly. I work with, <laughs> Ca yeah, I work with Cassie and Ryan at a company called Propercorn. I think, hey, hey, so she's not nicer then kind of thing. Um, and in the literally the five floors as we're going down uh, you said something along the lines of you know we really have got the finest popcorn with the best flavouring uh, and I think you whipped in there as well that they used to use a cement mixer oh, to yeah. get evenly coated flavourings and a car paint sprayer to make sure it was the finest of flavourings uh, and you said something like I know you're busy I know you've got a long flight try them if you get a chance and if you're as excited as we are about it let's catch up when you're back in London and the doors open and there it was elevator pitch I'm off and it's like we did catch up and I did come down to the offices what an amazing company um, but what was your memory of that that first meeting or how, you know how did how did you have the courage to leave the conference to take the opportunity to jump on someone a pitch like that yeah absolutely I mean I, I don't think I even knew what an elevator pitch was at the time right, before right. actually going into one but I think yeah from I mean from my perspective um, we had I had sold internally in the business saying look you know just thinking logically I think that's always been my approach to sales um, sort of even going back from the to the beginning because I never had any formal training in business I never did any kind of like sales or account management right. courses or anything like that so I was an actor actually back in the day um, who found herself in business by chance and I think as a result um, 
when I sort of had a target I needed to hit or, uh, you know, had a channel that I was trying to build out, which at that time when <clears throat> you was the convenience sector, I would just look at it really logically. And I would just think, right, how are we going to build a business in this channel as quickly and effectively as possible? You know, I could sit there and send a million emails yeah. um, and probably not get very far or try and get places on the phone. Um, or I can spend ages researching have a look at kind of the top symbol groups, you know, who's performing best in the market, who are the key decision makers in those channels, where are they, what are they doing, how can I make sure I find a way to get in front of them. And I remember, I think I did quite a lot of research of it on you, Mike, ahead of that. Um, But I had to kind of internally in the business say, look, guys, I know it's a bit of money, but I really do think one of the most worthwhile ways of us spending money at the moment is to is for me to attend this nicer conference yeah, because yeah. it's all of the top dogs, it's all of the key decision makers. I'm going to get loads of really great exposure to their strategy and what they're looking at, uh, what they're looking at, and what they're looking for. There's dinners, I can meet people, I can shake hands, and I just kind of want to get a feeling of of what what they're about. And I remember <clears throat> you were really quite hard to access at the time. Yeah. Um, and I knew that you were only going to be there for a really short period of time. So I think there was probably quite a lot riding on it from my side in terms of actually getting yeah. some time with you. Um, but I didn't have any fear about kind of leaving the conference room or anything. It was all just sort of logical, right? I'm not going to, I don't want to be annoying. I want to like find him at a moment where it's going to be convenient yeah, yeah, for him. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he might completely ignore me and not want to talk to me, but you did seem like the sort of person who would appreciate the effort and were kind of yeah, open, no, open to having a bit of a chat. But it's always a risk, like all of these things always are. But I just, yeah, I do remember leaving the conference. I was with my head of sales at the time because I was still really quite junior at the time. And I remember waiting outside the door and being like, and hearing the clap and being like, okay, this is it, he's out here. And then, yeah, we went in a lift and I had three minutes to try and yeah. pitch the business to you. Yeah, and, and it was perfect because... One of the things I've used a lot since is pitches are getting shorter and shorter anyway. Mm-hmm. And and the podcast I did with Oliver a few weeks ago, uh, and I said, oh, when I used to invest through investors, you gave them eight minutes. So I said, it's only three now. So literally, that's all you've got. And, and yet, how many companies touch base, and I still get it today, have you got time for a coffee? Now, when they say a coffee, they've probably been half an hour, 40 minutes, yeah, yeah. maybe an hour, or they, they try to get a meeting for an hour. I suspect even now, if you were to say someone, can I have eight minutes of your time anywhere that you want to be? I don't mind riding with you on a train. I don't mind meeting you while you're waiting for a train. I will come to wherever you are and I just need five minutes. I wonder how many more people would say yes to that because I can find five minutes for anybody. It's the thought of having to have an hour, which might spill to be an hour and a quarter and finding that slot in a day that puts a lot of people off, I think. Absolutely. But I think every founder, entrepreneur, salesperson, you need to know what your pitch is in 10 seconds. You, yeah, know, yeah, you yeah. need to have your all the different kind of versions of your pitch. And I think, you know, pitch <clears> decks are getting longer. You need to know what is your business on a slide? Like, what are you trying to say in the most succinct way possible? Because if you don't know that, that's how you communicate to customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's it's a split second decision when you're on the shelf. Um, and you need to know what's the most important message to get across. So, I don't know. I mean, I think I probably had been talking about popcorn for a long time yeah, yeah. by that point. But I think, you know, you read the room as well. You, there but, might be certain things that land. And that but you absolutely nailed it. And I think Twitter oh, was you. just starting and, and so on. But we, now we look at social. If it's more than 
a few seconds, as you said, 10 seconds, you swipe through or yeah, you swipe yeah. up or you swipe down and so mm -hmm. on. And, and it can be easily lost. But what I want to understand, so that in itself is a system, getting that pitch, getting that mm -hmm. pitch tight. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you covered a lot in, in your side of the story in terms of tar targeting, who you're going to go for, where you're going to be, where are they going to be that mm -hmm. you can capture them? Because mm -hmm. chances are we wouldn't have met up in the UK because at the time I, I was... Um, uh, we, we were just putting together a couple of hundred stores and so on yeah. and we, we were meeting with the bigger suppliers because they were our priority so you know lots of things I think when you get really rifle focused mm -hmm. fate does play a hand and it does conspire somewhat but you've got to be in the right place at the right time to take advantage totally. of that so Tell me other systems that you, even at that early stage, adopted to get some of the customers you did. Because very quickly, Propercorn uh, went across all the major retailers. And yeah. so tell me about that targeting. Tell me about what you would do to understand. You said, oh, you know, you found a lot about me. How would you go about that? Because there are loads of startups that I've worked with and mm -hmm. that may be listening or watching that probably got a great product mm -hmm. but they may never be successful unless they learn how to target their target audience yeah. and then to pitch to them and then to win that customer so tell yeah. me a bit about the systems that you knew then or guessed then or have come to know now yeah. that help you do that firstly that targeting I guess it's interesting what you said because I think I've always worked in startups so I've always been a challenger brand to the blue chips of the world and I think particularly you were working in the convenience sector you know it was it was one of the more old school sectors yeah. for sure um but I think I always would try and put myself in situations where they would be surprised to see me if you know what I mean so I would attend these conferences I would attend events that seemed expensive but, um, and you know, only it would only really be the blue chip people there. So I would be there in my trainers, like <laughs> looking relatively. Yeah. Everyone else is in a suit, and you know, they. I, I think I got recognised in the industry quite quickly, or kind of started building a bit of a name for myself because I was attending these gala dinners, yeah. or I was going to these conferences because. I wanted to meet people face to face, and I wanted to shake their hands. And I think lots of startups maybe just don't have the balls to do it, I don't know, or feel like a bit intimidated, feel like it's not their space, feel yeah. like it doesn't make sense for them to go. But, you know, that that is how we built the business. We built the business from being the slightly more scrappy, entrepreneurial, interesting person who's yeah, yeah, yeah. coming into the event or coming to the meeting room who, more often than not, people were a bit more interested to talk to than yeah, the sort yeah. of PepsiCo person who's um, been doing it for 50 years and is a bit bored of it. No, and... and it's so obvious when you say that because you, know, you say about the sector being quite old-fashioned or traditional mm. in its approach. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, all these things, as you were saying, that come to mind, like Disney used to say, observe the masses and do the opposite. Mm. If everyone's in grey suits or grey stale male, as, as it was said, you know, to be a bit different. But also, if you'd have adopted their behaviours and put a suit on, you would have Didn't probably have not been... No, but even <laughs> yeah. if you did, you'd have probably not felt comfortable. No, exactly. So, yeah, so exactly. to kind of be you at your best mm. and that being different, as you say, makes you stand out. And we don't want to blend in. We do want to stand out if we want to get noticed, I think. Definitely. And I think it's, there's something about I don't know whether it's naivety but it, there's something about being at the start of your career and you know thinking just thinking really logically and slightly naively about things yeah. I think I just didn't overthink it too much I sort of thought you know this makes sense I knock down that domino that domino is going to fall shake that person's hand they're really nice they're going to interview me to the buyer because they want to do a favor I had a lovely chat with them about their daughter and their yeah. holiday you know you catch people in environments where they're not working 
as yeah. well, which was interesting. Or like they're enjoying, they're having a nice time. They're in a good mood. Like you're not necessarily waiting in the waiting room to go in and, yeah. and present a PowerPoint. They're, they've got a glass of wine or a beer in their hand and they're looking for interesting conversation. Um, and more often, I mean, that is literally how... In, intentionally or not that's sort of yeah. how I built the, the business so, to a two million pound convenience sector so even to unpick that and it you say naive but it, in fact there's there's so much wisdom in there because you know you say talk to them about their daughter or something and now mm. you know as a behavioral profiler people do business with people they like know and trust mm. well if you don't know somebody you can't possibly like them the trust can be borrowed because you've been introduced by someone else who they do trust True. or because they've heard of your brand or something but the like and know has got to be worked mm. on uh, and then you said when they're not working or they're more relaxed or in a good mood mm. uh, recently in, in one of our sessions with Greg Wallace he said yeah. if you know the answer is going to be no don't ask the question mm. so when he was selling you know he would be working for building up that rapport trying to get that connection trying to get to know the person to get to know their needs mm. And he would be the only person who talks about John Tarot and I think asparagus roots or no, was it, uh, well, something that he couldn't get anywhere, but he got them. Uh, and he said, but if he was going through that and he realized that he was confident the answer would be no, he didn't ask the question. Well, he would wait until, until the right time and build the relationship another day or another yeah. opportunity. Uh, so all of that's in there. Um, does that come from your, you said you was an actor, does that come from that in terms of reading the audience where, or is it just natural? Where, where'd you get that from? And, and it's a really important lesson, I think, for startups and businesses mm -hmm. that the people do business with people. Mm -hmm. They don't do businesses with brands necessarily and they don't do business with um, uh, faceless companies. No. But they, it's like, do I like that person? Am I... You know, when we, you did the elevator pitch for me, it was partly, well, I was a bit cheeky, but it was fun. It didn't use any of my time. I had to go down that lift anyway. It gave me a snack to eat on the train, Should on the away. plane. And it, and it was great. Yeah, exactly. So it, it's, it's so obvious and yet so rare that companies would approach people like that. They don't think about where are my target audience communing? Mm -hmm. That's at this trade conference or it's at um, uh, this event mm -hmm. or um, you know, it's finding out enough about them to find out where they commune mm -hmm. to then say, I can connect with them there. Mm -hmm. And what would be the right way to approach them in that environment? Yeah, of um, course. So, so that's interesting. Tell me, does that come from acting or does that, where does that come from? You know what? I don't know. I think I only started sort of putting the puzzle pieces together like a couple of years into my career, realizing that a huge amount of my sales skills came from, yeah, being on a stage or being mm -hmm. behind the camera because, or in front of a camera or at various locations. Um, because I think that wasn't sort of, a natural interest of mine from a very young age. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I first did the Edinburgh Fringe when I was 16. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, was was acting for many years, not for any other reason other than I just really loved it. You know, I never really saw a career coming out of it. I didn't want to try and monetize it. It was just, this is so fun and I love doing it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that meant that there must have been some sort of a natural affinity in me to be interested in people. You know, acting is getting under people's skin there was nothing more exciting than being cast in something and getting yeah. a script and going right who the hell is this and how am I going to try and embody them um and I think that you know for me is is a lucky trait because it means that I am just naturally very interested in people when I meet them I'm you know 
I, you can be from any walk of life and I will probably find you fascinating yeah. and it's genuine and I think that's the point is it's not um, you know in a way counterintuitively it's not a performance you know, so should interested. companies and startups be looking to uh, drama groups and uh, and the like for their best salespeople. Pot- potentially I mean some of the best people are salespeople are actors you look you know brand ambassadors or those people yeah, who actors yeah. are between work are often the people on the trade show stand or yeah, the yeah. person coming up to you with the flyer um but yeah i think it was uh, you know that f- people feed off that and i think you know i w- you have to be incredibly passionate about what you're selling like that's probably the most important thing but if you've got the passion the drive the belief and the genuine kind of interest in this person and you are yeah. not you're not going to push them over the edge you're not there just to make money you're there because you really want to talk to them about yeah, something yeah. Inter- that interests you well and again Greg Greg said the same thing he yeah. said I would just I would just talk to them I would try to find out more yeah, about yeah, them what yeah. did they need it, you know, I knew I had an ulterior motive but I was trying trying to make sure there was a genuine connection that I could help them with first, if you like. Yeah, because it's not going to work any other way. It doesn't work like that. And I think, um, you know, it's only ever going to be a successful trading relationship and a successful partnership if you both want to talk to each other. (laughs) Otherwise, it's just, you know, it's not going to get anywhere. So Um, I I didn't know you pre-proper corn, if you like, but give me a little bit of a flavor because one of the biggest issues for companies now, I mentor over 40 companies at the moment and uh, and I've always done that kind of number, 40 to 50 at any point in time. But the biggest issue a lot of them are having at the moment is recruitment, is finding yeah. great people. And it's finding people who are willing to get themselves out there, mm-hmm. if you like. And in, in this post-COVID world, people are thinking they can do it all over email or Zoom yeah. or something like that. And yet everything that you've talked about is about connecting with people, Quite which is eyes. hard to do without yeah. being physically. And, you know, whether it's reading their, their energy or, or the eyes or mm-hmm. it, it's intonation, which a lot can be lost through technology. So do you think that's an issue for companies going forward? Or? I think I think it's it's an interesting time now because we're sort of emerging from under the rock and trying to you know get back to the, that social interaction. I think it's a massive issue for young people starting out, if I'm honest. Um, I think those of us who've been in, in business for a certain amount of time or know our companies really well, um, yeah. you know, we can probably get away with not being in the office as much. But if I, you know, if I had started out from scratch, you know, English and drama degree came in, saw a Facebook post that was posting about a business starting and that's, that's how I got yeah. into work. You know, I just unpacked boxes as an intern. Um, but, you know, if I'd been trying to do that from behind the computer screen, like you learn in your first years from osmosis, you know, yeah. you are listening to conversations, you're hearing phone calls, people are taking you over there, they're showing you how it, how it works. You need to see how the sausage is made, you need to see what's going on, um, otherwise you're not learning anything. So I think it's, for salespeople, I think COVID was really challenging because, yeah. because you are trying to get the same message across in text form or over email or over yeah, phone which call. Is really hard to and read. even a video yeah. call is it's it's just not the same um but you know we can see that as a real learning opportunity as well because i think that's about communication in other ways you know if there's one positive we can say okay what did we learn during this time and then there's a myriad of things but as a salesperson you can say well my you know my email tone got bang on like I had to learn how to communicate yeah Yeah, you had to communicate in other ways which maybe aren't as intuitive or as simple as as sitting opposite someone but um yeah I think we need to 
you know people buy from people and so how much really, can you know someone if you've just seen them in digital never form yeah, yeah yeah i mean look there's no doubt about it technology is a place for it you know is it can it fill in for one one out of three meetings one out of two meetings but you mm. do need that relationship but i mean i'm an ambassador for cambridge children's hospital which is i believe going to be the best children's hospital in the world when it's done it's just like so much we've learned from great ormond street and other amazing hospitals but one of the benefits of zoom for instance or teams is that if you've got a child that's got an issue and the best person in the world the best consultant is in bangalore or canada you can have a, a consultation with them That's amazing. Be, and you don't have to be at Adam Brooks or at your hospital. It can be done via the hospital with that great consultant. So, um, you know, nothing, I think either of us are saying says that it's not a wonderful thing and there's not a place for it. And I, you know, even you saying about you have to hone your email uh, communication in and of itself is so obvious again because mm -hmm. you can't just be sort of blunt and make up for it in a conversation. You've got to say, we might not be able to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So how can I, fine-tune that even more but tell me about Rosie Jolly you know where did you grow up how did you grow up did you go to uni did, what, what, yeah, what yeah. did you have brothers and sisters I know you've got a sister but yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about pre-work Rosie pre-work oh my god this is the day I'm checking yeah. um yeah so I grew up in a house with my mum my dad my aunt my uncle my cousin and my sister oh, wow. and a various kind of lodgers and other people were coming and staying basically my my aunt was pregnant and my mom and dad were thinking of starting a family and I think it must have been yeah early 80s in London and they just sort of thought you know should we just put all of our money together and get an amazing massive yeah, house in yeah. South London so um yeah so I was the youngest um and grew up surrounded by lots of people and lots of people talking which sounds really unusual for England but it's not at all unusual if you're in somewhere like Italy or France or, or, or somewhere more Mediterranean and I take it for granted massively but I think it's, I can't imagine how challenging it was as, a, as an adult but I think I think it was also very convenient because you had that community around you, you had you know you could take it in terms right. of babysitting they could go out for dinner. there was always someone there to look after us and as a kid it was just the best thing ever but also I guess with with a single family dynamic mm. there's that kind of um push-pull conflict and that, that builds your behavior with two families even though they're related families there's even more potential conflict and interaction and that probably again led to some of the acting skills some of the sales did. skills i think it, it was you know mum and dad were always going to be the gods that knew everything but i think there was always another point of view or right. you know i i didn't just have it, at least in my very early years, I didn't just have my mum and dad as kind of frames of reference for adults. I had my mm. aunt and uncle who also were there and also lived in the, in the house with me. Um, and I think that probably um, resulted in me being so fascinated by people right, right. Um, because I spent a lot of time watching and listening and trying to understand and always being the youngest. So always feeling like, you know, I want to learn how to be an adult sort of thing. And I think it probably made me quite observational um, as a child for yeah. sort of, human beings and what makes them tick and how they work and why and I, they are the way they are. And I never knew that, but it's funny how Steve Jobs says you can join the dots backwards, not forwards. But mm. now knowing that, it's like different parts of a jigsaw puzzle say, I can now see why you have that particular strength in, in your ability yeah. to connect with people or your interest in people uh, and so and on. And being but, too judgmental, I think, is part of it as well, because I... I'm quite a diplomatic person um, sometimes. Some people might disagree. But because I always, you know, not everyone agreed in the house on, on lots of different topics. And I would always be interested to see all sides of 
a story right. and all sides of the perspective. Um, and I always kind of, yeah, I take time to make up my mind on things and try not to be too, uh, too close. But I think that's the same with, it's the same in business. It's the same with sales, you know, I've met such a wide array yeah. of people over the course of my career, whether it's sort of, you know, the legendary Steve Keel. I don't know if you ever met him, but he's just yeah. come to mind now. He was sort of Dagenham booker, wholesale kind of okay. warehouse guru to sort of, you know, buyers in Harvey Nichols and Harrods. And it's such a wide, broad scope of, the, yeah. of human beings, you know, and I think every single one of them you can resonate with or you can connect with in some way. Um, so, yeah, I've gone down a rabbit so, hole there. Yeah, no, no, that, that, that's a good segue, actually, but I'm going to zig slightly before I come back to that. But when you were saying about you always wanted to hear or get or benefit from the different views of more people because of that upbringing, mm. it reminded me, Nelson Mandela, I don't know if you know, but his father was a tribal leader. Mm. And so he would often sit in with his father and he said, the, the, one of the things I learned is my father would always, on any issue, ask every, everyone else, mm. sitting in a circle, mm. uh, and everyone's on the same level, there's no head chair, no. the circle was re very deliberate, but he would listen to and insist that everyone else spoke before he did, mm. because he didn't want to make a decision until he had everyone's opinion yeah, on it. Yeah, and so, you know, that made Nelson Mandela listen before you speak, mm -hmm. listen to multitude of, of opinions or views or, mm. or um, suggestion before you speak. And so, you know, he comes at it from his tribal, his father is a tribal leader, but arguably you could, have, you could say you had a bit of a wider tribe in your house, yeah, literally, true, true. with different perspectives. And, but then you mentioned Steve, who I didn't know, but you then mentioned Harrods and Harvey Nichols. Now, one of the things that I know uh, is that you've gone from selling snacks in convenience to selling uh, skincare in Harrods. Yeah. Did you use that network to get the connection to Harrods or because you are listed in Harrods and Selfridges and all these wonderful places now, and two completely different products. The only common theme that seems to be for me is they're both new sectors and new businesses, mm -hmm. but you know, you've gone from getting things into spa to Selfridges. Yeah, yeah, how yeah. did you build that network and how did you get into such preeminent retailers because lots of people out there are trying to get their products listed. Course, yeah. What was the approach? Did you use the network? Did you just yeah. go for it anyway? Did you go back to your community, find out where they'd be and stalk them or whatever it yeah, was? Yeah. So I think um, I think everyone always talks about luck and timing. And, you know, I think we do breed our own luck to a certain extent. But in kind of both of the businesses that I've been in so far, or built so far, um, it's not just been building a business from scratch. It's been carving out <coughs> a whole new category, um, which is challenging in itself. Um, you know, whether at Prop Propercorn, uh, also, which is now known as Proper, I should call it Proper. Um, but, you know, healthy snacking at the time didn't exist, which yeah. now if you kind of walk down a Sainsbury's snack aisle, you wouldn't even be able to imagine. But it was... Um, you know, a bag of crisps, an apple, a chocolate bar, maybe mm. a snacker jack. That was sort of as far as it went. So we had to, we were educating the buyers as well on kind of the future of their category. And right. they saw value in meeting with us because, and it's the same, it's the same with, um, with Oto and CBD. So it's a similar example where CBD wasn't a category, you know, wellness still coming in and, you know, all the retailers knowing that they need to get better at wellness or they need to yeah. take it more seriously, but they don't really know how to do it well. And so we managed to get a lot of meetings early doors by 
being probably the first and only brand in the UK that's that was coming at the category from an elevated position, like a more yeah, yeah. a more kind of luxury premium positioning. Um, and they wanted to meet us because they wanted to learn what we had to say. You know, right. they because they like, knew it was a growing sector. Yeah, and they were educating themselves, and I think that's. But I've only actually just thought that now as I'm talking, but it is true. Like they need to have a. There needs to be a benefit yeah. for them to, even if it's a waste of time and they and they don't end up listing to, listing you, they've learned something or they're taking something away to their category. But what I want to try and understand for the benefit of other startups yeah, yeah. or other uh, people early in their career, whatever mm-hmm. it is, the systems bit yeah. is you didn't start at Sunday League. You went straight to Premier oh, League yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> and was straight for Harrods, not yeah. the the little independent uh, chemist. Now, not to say you don't then come back, mm-hmm. but. Uh, and I know that in food and drink, it, it is always, if we get those kingpins, yeah. it, everyone else sort of wants it anyway yeah, yeah, yeah. then. Yeah. So it's not about these are more important than these, mm-hmm. but it's about going for the big um, Actually, the key influencers, beacons yeah, is yeah, a good yeah. word. So, but that's also scary. So what systems or approaches or that, you know, do you, did you make a list of, of who you wanted? Did you prioritize that mm-hmm. list? Was it scattergun? Mm-hmm. Was it very targeted? Tell me a little we bit were, about we that were approach. We really targeted at the beginning because I think, you know, interestingly, you know, selling snacks in Asda is very different to selling really expensive products in Harrods. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the luxury sector is, is much more... <clears throat> intimidating in some ways and a bit more challenging actually to to crack so we had to be incredibly protective of where the brand was seen and who we were talking to at the beginning so we actually it was a slightly different approach to propagon propagon was more you know a little bit more scrappy you know we were much we were still a premium snack but we were dealing with people who were a bit more entrepreneurial or who were a bit more kind of fast moving. Whereas with Oto, it was a much tighter list and it was much more focused. And we probably had five or six retailers that we knew we had to win to get the ball rolling because you have to, I mean, it works in no matter where you're coming from and, and what category you're in or kind of where you sit along that food chain or where you are positioned. But you do need the beacons. You need those initial launch retailers who are thought leaders in their space, who are trusted, who are credible, who every other retailer knows that they test and put their brands yeah, through their yeah, paces. Yeah. And for us as a coming into a category which maybe did have a bit of a stigma or people would think, you know, more often than not people think CBD makes them high and things like that. Or, you know, it comes from cannabis. We did really need to build that credibility yeah. off the back of retailers that were seen as you know really outstanding in their field or outstanding globally um and we luckily we got into a lot of them (laughs) but i think harrods was the first one um and we did there was a contact that we knew somewhere who had been who had worked at harrods years and years before um so we met up with her and sort of asked her advice, but we didn't get a direct intro or anything like that. So, so if I if I can capture that and delve yeah, in a bit more detail, yeah. so you've you've looked at your beacons, you've decided Harrods are the the kind of one that you want to go for. Did you then, as, as a team, or, or how, I don't know how many there was of you at the time, but did you say, does anyone know anyone at Harrods, or did, or was it a case of doing some LinkedIn yeah, yeah. Um, stalking or ha- because? A lot of people, they've got a great product. They love their product. They're passionate about their product. They know the story, the pitch they want to do. Let's say we got all that ready. Yeah. 
but we then got to find the person because it is about getting in front of the right okay. person. So take me a little bit through, sometimes you say that's luck, although I think we make our own luck more often, but and, and luck is where opportunity and preparedness meet. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be prepared even of when course. the opportunity is there. So you've prepared, you've got your list, but how did you find the right person, connect with the right yeah. person? And even if that's kind of a bit of a zigzag route, I'd really be interested because I think people give up if they don't know the right person. Yeah. And, and often we have to go through some hoops, I think. Yeah. But. So I've just remembered, you're, you're reminding me, because it was a while mm. ago. Um, I had a list and I met, I tried to meet with everybody that I physically knew within my network who might know someone right. at either Harrods or Selfridges or anywhere. And it was actually a friend of mine who worked in PR for, she'd worked on startup, uh, on a startup. Mm. I didn't have any beauty experience at this point. I'd worked in snacks and crisps. Yeah, yeah. And so I didn't have the contacts. I didn't have the right buyers. And it was a friend of mine who had worked in beauty PR who had a contact who was also a startup beauty brand who we kind of had a chat, shared some ideas, shared some contact details, and that's how I started to weave my way in. Um, okay. But it was, yeah, so it was a blank piece of paper. And did you get, so, because obviously I said I do a lot of mentoring, but, and, and I'm a, um, honorary doctorate of education so education is really passionate mm -hmm. to me whether that is through traditional education ongoing education or mentoring but what we we think of a mentor as someone we meet regularly and that does work like that sometimes mm -hmm. but sometimes it's this person knows Harrods how can I create the environment can I get an hour with them mm -hmm. what questions am I going to ask them yeah. and, and I guess you whether you did it consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously you've gone to that person and, and I guess you were asking them what information did you need or mm -hmm. what sort of approach and it's like a mentoring session, but we don't need necessarily think about it like yeah, that. And I think Take me back to that, yeah, that, like that meeting and how it led to the Harrods meeting. I mean, yeah, we just, I didn't know anything. So I just was, I was on an education mission. You know, right. I wanted to understand the store inside out. So I spent a lot of time in the stores. Um, you know, I think it's, it's all, it remains all about people though, because I was talking to, uh, you know, the people on the shop floor, mm -hmm. the sales people, like anyone that I could get up around the chain. I was trying to understand, you know, what were they looking for in a brand? Mm -hmm. How could I come to that pitch with a knowledge of complete top to bottom of the store as much as I physically could? Um, you can't expect to be handed everything on a plate either. So you mm -hmm. never get all the contact details you want, but you might find out a format or you might find out the right structure and then you can do your digging on LinkedIn or other places to see sort of, and sometimes actually looking at who, other people are connected to on LinkedIn is quite useful yeah, because yeah. you can see like maybe competitive brands or brands operate in your space. If they're connected to that buyer, maybe that's yeah. the buyer for the category. So I did go and look on the shop floor and see, you know, what are the beauty brands that are here? Who, who are they connected to? Who do I think they're speaking to? Um, and then it's just about it making the, even if it's a waste of time for them, as I said, making that pitch worthwhile for them regardless. So yeah. I think again, they knew that CBD was an area in beauty and wellness. That so was even important. if they didn't take your product, you're taking them the knowledge. Yeah, the and they're going to want to meet with you, even if yeah. it's a really short meeting. All you need to do is get that meeting in the direct and get in front of. But them. that comes full circle to you yeah. recognizing the need to address their needs of, course. Of, of the of the sector rather than yeah, your yeah. need to sell the product. Absolutely. With a trust, I guess, that if you can, if you can connect with them as a person yeah. 
and and they like you, they might look one step closer to your product. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's interesting, you said about uh, LinkedIn, and it took me back as well, because, uh, and you said about you can look at who people follow and that. And, I know, you're and I used, realize I am a stalker. Yeah, you? well, <laughs> I, I used to call it harvesting. So I'd say to my team, you know, if, if you connect with Rosie, mm. don't just connect with Rosie. The minute you connect, you can see all of the people yeah. she's connected with, and you can harvest those connections. Because if we go back to people do business with people they like, know, and trust, mm. If I try to connect with someone and they see that you're also connected with mm. me, there will be an assumed trust yeah, or yeah, credibility. Uh, and and some people are wait, oh, I can't connect if I haven't met them. And you know, half of our connections we've probably never met, but it all builds I mean, I've up got to this. Thousands of connections on LinkedIn, I've probably met about five one percent of them yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. but but it all adds to your credibility yeah, when yeah. people are looking at who is Rosie of Jolly. Of course, yeah. Um, and that's good. So uh, we're moving around here, but I now want to move on to um, you're a girl, you're, 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 you're a woman, a you're a strong woman, uh, and I come from a, a, a mum who brought five of us up on her own, and I've got two daughters, no sons, so I want girls to rule the world, mm -hmm. and that's always been tough. Uh, is it any easier now? How did you have to adjust your behaviour? What systems did you adopt or adapt to especially inconvenience, it was a very male environment at some level. So, yeah. um, what what systems did you use to be uh, that successful as a female entrepreneur in in well both sectors now? I guess right? I think it's I think it's about relearning and rewiring a bit because I think the I mean I could talk about this for hours, um, but if I just look at my personal story and what I know to be true for me. Um, <clears throat> A huge part of it is the confidence to back yourself at the beginning. And I think as women and girls, we have to rely on our currency for people liking us more than men do. Um, as far as I'm aware, I might make some assumptions here, but I do, I do think especially kind of growing up, we we tend to care a lot more about what people think of us and, we, and our likability and someone liking us like as a person yeah, yeah, yeah. is so important and that makes us feel good. Um, that's not always the best um, strategy for business, um, you know, and especially in the more old school ways. You know, lots of people would say, oh, you need to act more like a man or you need to be more, more bullish. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think what holds a lot of girls back at the beginning is feeling like they're being too pushy or feeling right. like they're being too bossy or like, you know, all these words which seem very, you know, girls get called bossy, boys don't get really called bossy. Right. It's like, you know, there is a cap in terms of what we will allow women to do or say that we feel comfortable with and they should be pandering to us is what it tends to feel. And I totally fell into that trap. You know, me, uh, you know, coming from an acting degree, as we know, yeah. with no experience, I felt so imposter syndrome-y. I felt really like I didn't know what I was doing. I felt like this was an environment that I could never learn how to do well. I saw everyone who was in senior positions as sort of having been the fountain of all knowledge and how could I ever understand how they do what they do? And I think that's very normal yeah, for lots of people yeah. starting out. But there were a couple of young guys who were working with me as well. And I... I think when I joined, I started as an intern packing boxes and stuff. And then they decided to get me on the phone. So they were like, oh, you know, get do some telesales. Maybe she'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think quite quickly, everyone was like, she's really good on the phone. Yeah. It's like she's getting on with everyone. She's getting loads of orders. <clears throat> like, what's going on here? And I, I, I have to say that I, it is credit to... Um, 
lovely pair of guys called Ollie and Clem who now run their own business. Um, and it's, it's an immersive theatre business. Very cool. Um, but they had to take me aside one day and say, look, Rosie, you're really good at this. And I think they're looking to offer you a job and I think they're looking to hire you. But it's almost like you need to, you just need to act like you think you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so shocked and I was so sort of like, what do you mean I need to act like I think I can do it? They were like, you're just sort of like apologizing all the time for everything and being all kind of, and they just couldn't get their head around it. They were yeah. like, why is she sort of saying, oh, sorry, I'm probably going to be really rubbish at this. I don't know how to do it. You know, the classic. And, um, and it changed my, that conversation changed my mindset forever because I was like, of course I can do this. What do yeah, you mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I can do this. This is not that hard. But you hadn't seen yourself I hadn't sort of realized how and, like yeah. pandery I was being. And off the, honestly, straight off the back of them saying that to me, I went up to the head of sales. I said, hi, um, can I just grab you for five minutes? And he was like, yeah, of course. Grabbed him, took him into a room, sat him down and said, I think I'd be really good at this job. And if there is a job going, I'd really like to put yeah, myself forward. Fantastic. And I got the job. <laughs> and, you know, that might seem really obvious to lots yeah. of people. But I think as girls, especially that feels really punchy or it feels like something really uncomfortable, yeah. but it's the ultimate. If you don't ask, you don't get, and you will surprise yourself so much by how much you do get. If you just Pick back yourself, because people yeah. aren't going to back you unless you're putting yourself forward. And I think that can even run into me coming and finding you in New York. Yeah. It's the same attitude. It's sort of like, you know, it's probably going to, I just grab, shake his hand and say hi, and it's probably going to be fine. And but if I'm too got to lose, really, to try, really, then it's yeah. just, you know, I'm, you're not going to get anywhere. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of, um, you know, the, the classic Sheryl Sandberg lean in book, which was absolutely sort of completely cutting edge for me at the time reading it, which is very practical and offers lots of advice for women starting in and not just starting out but also um you know managing families and managing their yeah. their lives um but the whole um premise of the book is and if you haven't read it you absolutely no, should no, no, you no, must no. read it that's the book that i tend to buy and give people at work yeah. um but it is it's very famous now but it's just about making your voice heard around the table or having an opinion or feeling yeah. that you can speak up but there's some statistics in there such as um you know, put it, the difference between men and women when they're putting themselves forward for a promotion. And women will only put themselves forward if they think they have 90% of the skills to do the job well. Whereas men will put themselves forward if they think they have 30% of the skills. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> but it's that backing yourself thing. It's well, sort it, of, in, it's the ingrained, I'll probably be all right at that. And there's so many nuggets in there, though, because uh, I remember speaking to my youngest girl, Amelia, and she's doing psychology at the moment at UCL. And um, the conversation was about someone had said to her about that often we we see we judge others by our inside, how we're mm -hmm. feeling, if you like, and all those anxieties and insecurities and concerns. But we judge others by their outside. Mm -hmm. So we can look at and, and you might be faking it, you know, occasionally, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and we see, oh, God, they're super confident and they're really smart and they're really clever. And we see all of that of them. We may have all of that, but we're not seeing that in ourselves. Right. We're looking on our inside. And mm -hmm. and often when we go to have this conversation, you know, go to somebody, lean in if you like, or just put your out there trust yourself back mm -hmm. yourself what happens is we have a thousand conversations with ourselves yeah but if i say this he's going to say that they're going to think i'm pushy and then the whole conversation that we've had a hundred times we then don't have with that person even once yeah, yeah, because yeah. we've already convinced ourselves it won't work mm. rather than just say 
I've got nothing to lose, and I'm going to do it. Back myself, yeah, yeah. and it is scary, you know. Feel the fear and do it anyway, mm -hmm. and so on. And you know, I really hope that you know female entrepreneurs and male entrepreneurs really get this because I think the the insecurities exist in in both cases. I I do think you're right that sometimes guys all sort of bullshit their way in or go or go for it anyway. And and I've seen some of those insecurities in in both, mm -hmm. but I, I really hope that. People listen to the podcast, and and when I consume podcast, I'll listen to it like four or five times uh, a podcast, and I'll maybe listen to it at normal speed at five, at one point five, and that because I get different bits from it, or it reminds me of something. And I've been doing that ever since I heard a Jim Ron speech, uh, and you know he. I don't even know if he's alive now. If he was, he's probably a hundred, and his content's fifty years old, but it's as relevant today as it was then. Uh, and he says. And I think it was Think and Grow Rich, how he read the book hundreds of times. He would sort of always be reading it and he'd go back and reread it because he said, we can't get content once, we can't get the lesson once. And the nuggets that you sort of covered in, 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 in so eloquently, but also importantly, mm -hmm. could really change people's success. And, but also just change their um, enjoyment of the journey. Because Absolutely. we don't want success if it's such a torrid journey. It sort of feels like if we really won, it's like we want to enjoy the journey because the, the, as I get older, I start to realize it is the journey that's important, not the destination. And the destination is somewhere we need to aim for. And we may or may not ever get there. So let's enjoy the journey kind of thing. And, um, and if we make that too hard by not backing ourselves or not believing in ourselves, uh, it yeah, it challenges why. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, to, to quote Sheryl Sandberg again, who wrote that book, um, it's a jungle gym, not a career ladder, is what she always says. So in terms of where yeah. you're going, you're not always necessarily trying to get to the next step and get to the next thing and going constantly chasing this sort of like vertical line. Yeah. Actually, you learn a lot on the sides and you learn a lot going up and down and sideways and left and right and, it, and not being intimidated to explore all these different kind of new angles. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's so, an interesting jungle uh, gym uh, so far. No, 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 and I, it's some great content in there. I say if people, I urge people to listen not once, not 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 twice, but several times because there's lots of really, really powerful. And I say this from a position of being a mentor, powerful content in there that you've uh, you've communicated more successfully than I ever could. But I want to go back now and start to come with some sort of final thoughts about that. Firstly, how long ago was it that you first moved from acting to the normal commercial career type? The normal commercial career? Be... Um, I was, well, I left university in, oh golly, 10 years ago? Yeah, right. about so 10 years ago. 10 years. Um, and everyone was asking me sort of, because I, all I did was act, I did plays, I did sort of 30 plays a year, yeah. you know, loads of stuff. And um, everyone was sort of saying, you know, what are you, what drama school are you going to apply for? What are you, what's the plan? And I did sort of consider it, but I think my, where my head was at, I didn't want to destroy my love for acting by failing at it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, you know, I'm big on failure. I think it's a good thing, but I, I had always done it because I loved it. I didn't want to monetize it. It wasn't something yeah, that I needed yeah. to rely on to survive um, because then I think it could have become about something that it wasn't. So I wanted to leave it. Enjoy it. Keep that as, as a passion. It. Yeah, yeah, keep yeah. it as a passion. Um, and I didn't have a plan. I had no plan. I had like a vague idea of starting at the bottom rung of a film production company. Yeah. My, a lot of my family members work in film. Um, 
and I was I'd gone to Cambodia for a month in between to sort of see what was going on there and it was honestly just a friend of a friend's Facebook post so again a network uh, saying help we've started this business we need we'll pay you know 10 pounds an hour we don't know what the job is but yeah, we just need hands on right pay. time right place yeah, yeah and I was like 10 pounds an hour I will do anything for that like so I was, I was thinking then as, as we think about going back um the last week or so uh, on TikTok, I don't know if you do TikTok, but, you know, different social. On TikTok, there is a rash at the moment of this teenage filter okay. uh, and people seeing themselves young. But the, and I don't know if it was ever the intent, but the thing that's coming out when you see someone who's in effect in the same frame talking to their 15, 18, 20 year old oh, self. Oh, and it's it. incredible. But the, what's really affecting is they're starting to, think about what would they say to their 15-year-old mm. self. And, you know, they're getting quite emotional because they're thinking, oh, you're going to be okay. You know, yeah. I wish I could just hug you. I wish I could. Yeah. But if you could go back to your 15 or 18 or 20-year-old self, what would be the piece of advice that you would give? Or And I, and I want that not just for you, but for a 15-year-old now that's just thinking. I think, I think it would be back yourself. Yeah. Because if you don't back yourself, no one else will. And... I don't feel that different to how I felt at 15. I think they'll yeah. probably be saying the same when I'm 65, whatever. But um, I just think, you know, you are who you are and you're figuring it out as you go along. But you can waste a lot of time um, just missing out on opportunities because you're not putting yourself forward for them. And that's not to say, you know, barge into, you know, through every door and say, I'm amazing, I do everything incredibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have the intuition to care about how you're, going to you know how you what you're saying is going to land actually listen to the audience actually make sure you know and read the room yeah. you're probably not going to get it wrong very often and actually people are probably interested in what you have to say more than the sort of boring yeah, Mexico yeah. man in the series talking anyway of course no, but, but, but and that's that that sort of makes me think as well of Shoma Marita who uh, the Marita method famous Japanese philosopher but says we're all perfectly imperfect mm. you know if we can accept ourselves despite our imperfections in fact embrace our imperfections and start to just accept them they don't hold you back in the mm. same way mm. uh, and that then leads to you backing yourself more because mm. you say well I am who I am I can't be anyone different so I'm just going to be myself and I'm going to go for it anyway. And uh, it's great to see how, you know, you did that way back then in that yeah, uh, fifth floor of, uh, of the Waldorf and the lift. Uh, and you've completely changed sectors, completely mm. changed products, but still just as passionate and excited. And um, I really appreciate your time. Thanks Thank again. Thank you, Mike. And uh, we're going to put this out actually the day before International Women's Day. Oh, so amazing. I hope it does inspire a lot of other women, but I also know it will inspire a lot of other men. So amazing. thank you for inspiring us today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. If you've liked uh, today, there's a lot of lessons in there. Please do listen again, like, subscribe, share, and we look forward to seeing you again on Success as a System.